Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's turn to the text, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 10 through 19. The title of the message today, Wisdom and the Image of God, the Sanctity of Human Life. Now remember, many of the Proverbs, particularly the first nine chapters, uh, were written from the perspective of a father, King Solomon, giving advice to his beloved son. And so far this summer, we've studied godly wisdom in some very important areas of life. Two weeks ago, we read Solomon's advice to his sons regarding the sin of sexual immorality. Last Sunday, we examined what the scripture teaches regarding the use of alcohol. And on Wednesday evenings, we are concentrating on the Proverbs dealing with the tongue, that is, the wise use of our words. And this morning, the title of the message, as I said, is Wisdom in the Image of God. Historically, Christians have regarded human beings as God's highest creation different and distinct from all other life. Now that regard for human life springs from a concept referred to by theologians as the imago Dei. Uh, That is, only of man does the Bible declare was made in the image of God. Now, what that means, we're still grappling with, aren't we? Certainly, I don't know of anyone who perfectly understands it. We can talk about how man is creative. He's aware of himself. Um, I think Certainly, it means at least that God has chosen exclusively to reveal himself, his attributes, and his plan to humanity. And only of man can we say that's true. Well, we find that concept, of course, in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, which says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the livestock and over the earth and over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and every other living thing that moves on the earth. Now we talked a lot about at this church, a biblical worldview. And that's where it starts, that God created the heavenly earth, that he created humanity as his highest creation, and he entrusted humanity with ruling over all the other creatures and being a steward of all the things that that God has made. Now, of course, Satan, who desires to steal, kill, and destroy every good thing that God declares is good, tempted our first parents, Adam and Eve, to sin, and they did, of course. And since then, that image of God within every human being is is marred by sin. And in fact, the second generation of humanity, violence and murder entered the world as a man killed his own brother. And human history since then is a bloody account of man's disregard for the sanctity of human life. Well, that is true because of the depths of man's depravity, not because of some failure by God to make known his will in the area of the sanctity of human life from the very beginning. Genesis 9, 6 says, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he was made. 
And of course, when God gave his chosen people Israel the Ten Commandments through Moses, Exodus 20.13 says, Thou shalt not murder. But perhaps the clearest indication of God's view of humanity is here in the Proverbs, chapter 6, verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who declares life and one lies and one who spreads strife among brothers. Now, last week we celebrated our nation's independence, our freedom. And we rightly and appropriately thank the Lord for our blessings, historically and presently. But even as we sang, God bless America, we were reminded that we are sinful people and we dwell among sinful people. In our nation, we violate every day God's prohibition of shedding innocent blood. Did you know that since Roe versus Wade legalized abortion in this country 48 years ago, over 60 million babies have lost their life under the protection of the federal government? So when I pray for our nation, as I do often, as we did collectively last week, the thing I pray most, most often for is, Lord, have mercy. Well, violence and murder and lack of regard for the sanctity of human life is not just a modern malady. In his day, Solomon worked hard to warn his son about those who would disregard human life. Let's read our text today, and I'll begin reading in verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. For their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. And the first thing that we see in that text is an indecent proposal. An indecent proposal. Now, those of you who grew up in Baptist churches know that in most of our congregation, at the end of the pastor's sermon, he issues what we call an invitation. It is an appeal to choose spiritual life. It is a call for sinners to despair of their sinfulness and run to Jesus to find grace and forgiveness. Well, there are other invitations that likely you will receive in your lifetime. You perhaps will be invited to join clubs or civic organizations, various groups, uh, you may this summer be invited on a vacation that turns out to be a sales pitch. Um, most of our young people will be invited sometime in their teen years by their peers to join them in all sorts of illicit activities that God prohibits, everything from sexual immorality to drunkenness, and that's why you train up your children in the way they should go. And here Solomon is pleading with his son to say no to an invitation that is likely to come to him he wants him to say no every single time he gets this invitation to commit violence on another human being. In our text this morning, he, he warns of this indecent proposal. Look at verse 10. He says, my son, 
If sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let's lie and wait for blood. Let's ambush the innocent without cause. Let's swallow them alive like Sheol, that's death. Even whole like those who go down to the pit. What we have here is an invitation to murder, to the shedding of innocent blood. And it seems to be a thrill killing. There's no good reason for it. It's just an ambush. He says, let's ambush the innocent without cause. Not because they endangered our life, not because they're a threat, just because. Well, the law in most countries, including our own, makes a clear distinction between hot-blooded homicide and cold-blooded ones. And so as the name implies, hot-blooded murders happen in a fit of anger or jealousy in which a person loses control temporarily of their emotion and, and acts and behaves in a way that he or she likely would not if they were thinking clearly. But cold-blooded murder, cold murders are different. Um, they are premeditated, and typically, in the eyes of the law, they are viewed as more heinous. But what we have described here in Proverbs 1 is certainly a cold-blooded and a premeditated murder. Now, that is not to diminish the seriousness of, of any taking of human life for any reason, whether hot blood or cold. In our nation alone, we have averaged over 15,000 murders every year for the past decade. In our own county, Tarrant County, Texas, for the last five years of statistical data, we have averaged over 125 murders per year. That's two a week, every week for five years. Just last weekend, seven days ago, over 200 people were shot to death in the United States in violent murders. God have mercy. Because God hates man's violence against man. He abhors it. He said so in Proverbs 6. And that which he abhors and hates, he ultimately will judge. Now I said seemingly this invitation to murder was for no reason. It seems to be just a thrill killing. But the real motive for this seemingly senseless invitation becomes clear in verses 13 and 14. And it's an undisguised and an unashamed motive. Look at verse 13. This is the person trying to entice Solomon's son to commit murder. He says, we will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us and we will all share the loot. Well, here's the real motive for the murder. It is the very root of all sorts of evil things, and that is the love of money. You have something that I want, and I'm willing to kill you to get it. Now, that is the sin of valuing things more than people. And if, if that type of action sounds cold-hearted and even barbaric to you, you're exactly right. And yet it goes on every day in this country under the protection of the law. Now this week I was looking for reliable data on the money involved in the abortion industry. And you heard that right. Abortion is a business. It is a very lucrative industry in this country. And you hear all sorts of numbers thrown out. And so I went to a service that provides forecasting data for investments in various industries. And there I found an article 
from December 2020, less than a year ago. Now remember, this is not a report put out by some anti-abortion activist group. This is a report generated by businessmen targeting businessmen. It was generated from a company that analyzes business potential in various sectors of the economy. And the title of the article was Family Planning and Abortion Clinics Industry in the United States, subtitled A Market Research Report. Very clinical. This is what it says, and I'm not embellishing it one bit. This is a direct quote. Quote, industry revenue has increased at an annualized rate of 3.3% to $3.1 billion over the five years leading up to 2020. In general, increasing federal funding for government health programs has facilitated access to care, and that's a euphemism, which has been bolstered by a similar increase in per capita disposable income levels. Nonetheless, the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic has uniquely disrupted the industry in terms of safety funding and public policy, end quote. Now that, my friends, is cold-blooded. From a business perspective, this company is celebrating the fact that there was 3.3% annualized growth in profits in the abortion industry for five straight years. And they are bemoaning the fact that profits will likely be down this year because of COVID. Lord, have mercy on us all. And as I read that this week, it struck me how ironic that the COVID virus may end up saving more lives than it took. So Solomon, knowing the value that God has set on human life, gives his son an impassioned plea to decline this invitation to join in violence. That is, he calls his son to value human life over money. And I would say to you parents who still have children at home, right at the top of the list of things you need to communicate to your children before they leave home and go out on their own is that people are more important than money. And the way we say it to our children is we want to teach them that they are to use things and love people. But unfortunately, many people are taught to love things and use people. This is what Solomon is warning his son against, this kind of person, this kind of person. And it is uh, an impassioned warning. It is emotional. He's, again, taking his son's face, metaphorically, between his two hands and pulling him close and looking in the eye. And look what he says to him in this impassioned warning, verse 15. He says, my son, do not go along with them. That is those who are swift to violence. Do not set foot on their paths. There's that metaphor of our life, a path that either leads to life or death. For their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. That term, my son, that, there's nothing more personal or emotional than that. Only of his blood kin would he use that term. He's saying, my son, have nothing to do these, with these people. And, and we could compare it to what he said to his son about the adulteress two weeks ago. He said, stay far away from her door. Don't go near it. 
because he knows how powerful that temptation is and where that path leads to. We saw last week to alcohol. He said, my son, do not linger long over the wine. And then he painted that vivid picture of an alcoholic. He said, son, I don't want you to end up this way. And then he, I think, reiterates the seven things that the Lord hates because he uses some of that same terminology that he uses in chapter 6. The Lord hates hands that shed innocent blood. He hates feet that are swift to run to evil. And he says here, those people that are trying to entice you to violence are swift to shed blood and their feet are swift to run to evil. I can remember being a school teacher. And there are certain things you just learn. You can feel the tension in the air when there's about to be a fist fight. When there's about to be violence. And things will get quiet. And then you'll see people rushing to an area. <laughs> because people love violence, don't they? They love to witness it. They, they love a train wreck. And yet the Bible says we're not to be swift to run to evil. Now the real warning comes in verse 17. Just like Solomon painted that vivid picture of how an alcoholic's life ends up. He painted a vivid picture of how an adulteress's life ends. Now he paints the picture of how the violent will come to their end. Verse 17, he says, How useless to spread a net where the bird can see it. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. So in a lot of Solomon's metaphors about the path of life, he also used a metaphor of a snare, a net. This is how people hunted in those days. Didn't have guns. A few of them had bow and arrows. They caught animals alive in traps. They'd dig a pit, put some branches over it. They'd fall in the pit. They would have the animal. Most often they used a snare where they would spread a net and then hide in the bushes. And when the birds came, they would set off, and, and then they would have it. Now, what he's talking about here is how these men are setting a net for someone else. Remember they said, let's go shed innocent blood. We'll ambush them. But what he's saying is the net, they don't know that they're setting, really is going to take their own lives. As we said, they'll be hung upon their own noose. They wait, he says, verse 18, for their own blood. They only ambush themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away a life of those who get it. So what is ill-gotten gain? It's money and material possessions that are made or obtained through means that God has prohibited. In this case, through violence and murder but there are many other things that God has prohibited that could be considered ill-gotten gain, stealing, for one, any sort of deception. Now, don't take this to say that, that God's against a person having gain. Uh, a lot of the Proverbs are about industry and working hard. But he says there are certain ways of obtaining money that God says that he will not bless. In fact, that he says that, that he will curse. Did you hear what I said when I read that? Quote from the article a while ago, how much money is generated in this country through the abortion industry? $3.1 billion, with a B, dollars a year. That's why 
Planned Parenthood and organizations like that fight so hard and spend so much money in Washington, D.C. to get lawmakers to vote that they want because it keeps the revenue streams coming. God says that they're laying a trap for themselves. Their path will end in destruction. Just like with sexual immorality, just like with alcohol abuse, the end of that path is death. And Solomon is pleading with his son to turn away from the path of death and choose the path of life. And that is my plea with you today, dear friends. If you are at a crossroads, choose life and not death. And maybe I'm speaking to a woman this morning in our audience or over the internet or a teenage girl, and you're facing this decision very literally. Will I choose life or will I choose death? I want you to hear this pastor say very clearly, choose life. Our church will help you. You're not alone. Now, it's one thing to tell someone to choose life. It's quite another to help them choose life. So how do we attempt as a church family, First Baptist Church of Keller, to promote that worldview, which is so different than the world's, which includes the sanctity of human life. Well, Dan mentioned in his prayer, these messages were, were going through our church covenant. And this is what our church covenant says as it relates to the sanctity of human life. This was adopted three years ago in our congregation. It says this, quote, We affirm that life is sacred, beginning at conception and ending through providential death. Therefore, we denounce abortion, euthanasia, and suicide. And so it says very clearly in our documents, this is what we believe and this is what we stand for. But as I've said to our budget and finance committee, if we say we believe in something, the way we spend our money ought to reflect what we say we believe. And so therefore, we support those ministries and organizations financially that also have this philosophy of ministry and this understanding of the sanctity of human life. We have two crisis pregnancy centers locally that we support financially. One's right here in Keller, Texas. And primarily what these crisis pregnancies do when a young girl comes in who's pregnant, considering abortion or is abortion-minded, they give her a free sonogram. One of the things our church did is help purchase these sonogram machines. And I think there's nothing more powerful to overcome the great lie of the abortion industry, which is that which is within your womb is just a blob of cells. It's not a real person. And when they see that sonogram, and when they see the features of their baby growing within them, they know they've been told a lie. And many of them choose life after having that sonogram. We also support nationally an organization who exists for the purpose of trying to end legalized abortion in this country. But beyond that, one of the things that uh, in recent years that we've gotten involved with is fostering and adoption ministries. There are many couples in our church who are in the foster, uh, uh, fostering of children from the state of Texas. And they do that out of love and compassion because they are pro-life and they want young moms to choose life and many of you have chosen to adopt children 
to set another place at your table so that someone would choose life. And I commend you for that, and I applaud you for that, and may your tribe increase. And if you're here today and you want to do something tangible to support life, I would ask you to call Tony Richmond or Lawrence Duhon in our church office, or myself. And our number is 817-431-2545. And you can reach us anytime. And, and we would be, help, uh, we'd be more than happy to counsel you, to pray with you, and to help you uh, on behalf of our church. So please do. So there's something else we can do. One, yes, we need to proclaim clearly with our church covenant what we believe. And two, we need to put our money where our mouth is in the area of sanctity of human life. And then we need to put our knees on the floor and pray and advocate for the unborn. Proverbs chapter 31, most of you know the very last chapter of the book of Proverbs. And we associate it with a godly woman, right? We often read it at Mother's Day or at wedding anniversaries. But in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 8 and 9, we don't often read this, and it's unfortunate because it's incredibly important. A mother is giving instruction to her son named Lemuel. Many theologians believe that Lemuel is just another name for Solomon. So perhaps Solomon's mother taught him this as a child, and he wrote it down, and it was preserved in what we know as the book of Proverbs. This is what it says. Open your mouth for the people who cannot speak, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the poor and needy. She knew her son would one day be the king. And she wanted to instill in him as a child, when you have a voice, when you have power, when you have authority, Use that authority and power for good. The first thing you need to remember is those who cannot speak. And I think that certainly includes the unborn. But it also includes those who don't have a voice in the public square. Those who are relegated to the fringes of society. Whose vote and whose opinions are not valued in the culture. We find throughout the Bible the Lord has a special place in his heart and in his plan for those kind of people. And in the ancient world, they were widow women and they were orphans. James chapter 1 verse 27 says, True and undefiled religion for God the Father is this, to visit the orphan and the widows and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And here the prince's mother is saying, Open your mouth. Don't sit by quietly when an injustice is being done to those who don't have a voice. Judge righteously. When you have the opportunity, you do what is right, not what is popular. And defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Do you know what, as we talk about the founding of our country last week, the number one right that our founding father said we have is the right to life. Because God is sovereign and he is the one who grants life. And because every human life bears the image of God, every human life has worth. 
and has value and has dignity. But he doesn't stop there. In Proverbs chapter 24, verses 11 and 12, more instruction being given to the young prince. And it says this, Rescue those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to the slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this, does he who weighs the heart not consider it? And does he who watches over your soul not know it? And He will not repay a person according to his word. The Bible says that uh, God sees all and he knows all. And the reason I pray every day for God to have mercy on this country is because he knows better than any of us the evil that is the abortion industry in this country. And he sees every act of violence that man perpetrates against man, not only in the inner city of Fort Worth, but in the suburbs of every city in this country and throughout our land. And the scripture says he hates it. And he abhors it. And one day he will judge it. And like with all sin that God says he will judge, our only plea, our only hope is mercy. We shouldn't ask the Lord to give us what we deserve. If he did, we wouldn't last very long. So I'm going to ask you this morning to do what the Proverbs tell us to do in Proverbs 31, to open your mouth. First of all, open your mouth in the public square. When you have the opportunity to speak a word for life in a biblical worldview, do it. Do it on your college campuses. Do it in your public school classrooms. Do it on the street, and that will take courage. And yet, God gave Joshua courage, didn't he? He said, be strong and courageous. Open your mouth in the public square. and Open the mouth through exercising your rights as an American citizen to vote your conscience. And you know I'm not into politics, but this isn't a political issue. This is a moral issue. God says he hates those whose hands shed innocent blood. When you have the opportunity to vote for a candidate who declares himself that they're pro-life, Take that opportunity. And then there's one other way we need to open our mouth. We need to open our mouth in prayer. I'm getting a lot of emails lately about what went on at the Southern Baptist Convention. And I'm going to give a report to our deacons this afternoon at 4 o'clock in their meeting. And I have opinions just like you do. But what was almost unreported by our national media that happened in Nashville two weeks ago because I was there and voted for it was that we voted for the strongest anti-abortion language our convention has ever voted on. Amen. Calling for the immediate end of abortion in this country. And though we've got a lot of problems in our denomination, that's not one of them. Failure to speak for those who cannot speak. And so I'm going to ask you to, to do it just now. Would you, would you bow your heads and... Close your eyes. Let's ask the Lord right now for, for mercy, not to give us what we deserve, but to be merciful to us.
And then ask the Lord in his sovereignty to bring an end to this travesty in our country. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we have gathered around your word, it seems incredibly clear. Seven things the Lord hates. One of which is hands that shed innocent blood. Another is feet that are swift to run to evil. The very things that Solomon was keen to warn his own son about. There are those who will want to ambush the innocent. But the reason behind it, when all the smoke is cleared and all the other reasons are proven untrue, is money. The root of all sorts of evil is the love of money. And Father, that's why it's so difficult to, to overturn abortion in this country. There's so much money involved. So many people depend on it for their living. And so many people have grown fabulously wealthy. Father, you hate it. You, you've made it so clear. And so we should hate what you hate. And so Father, I, I pray that whatever means you choose, that you would bring an end to legalized abortion in this country. In our lifetime, is my prayer. I pray that not another generation would have to endure this stain upon a great country. Father, we, we know we are sinful. Father, we know this is just another manifestation of man's depravity. And yet, Lord, it seems to be a unique sort of sin because only of man did you say that we're made in the image of God. Only of man did you communicate with in this special way. Only of man. Did you provide an eternal plan of redemption for his soul? So, Father, I pray that as a church family, we would not only say our church covenant, that we would believe it and live it, that we advocate for the voiceless and those who are being led to slaughter. Father, I pray if there is even one here in the sound of my voice who's at a crossroads in life, I pray today they would choose life. And I pray, Lord, you'd show our church family how we can support that. Father, I thank you that there's forgiveness in Jesus, even of abortion, and especially of abortion. So, Father, I pray if there are those in this room who are struggling with guilt, Father, I pray that you would show them Jesus. I pray they'd run to the cross where there is forgiveness and, and renewal. You tell us, Lord, that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that would be the order of the day to someone who's listening today. Lord, you've heard our prayers. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.